there is a battle on. It's being fought. It's a very quiet battle, though. It's a battle for the rest of your life. And I'm wondering if the walls are going to come tumbling down or if stone by stone you're going to build them back up. I'm wondering if some of the servants of God like Joshua and Caleb who won that battle in that day for God, I'm wondering if the Holy Spirit through God's servants will tear down some of the walls in your life, will level your life. Jesus said this. He said, very simply, come to me. I think that's the whole gospel. That's what I've been talking about for about 86 chapels now, this year. Well, I didn't speak at all those, but... I've been trying to say those three words to you. It would have been a lot simpler if I just said them at the start, but I wouldn't have gotten paid. I think that's the gospel. Come to me, Jesus speaking. But he, he elucidates that just a little bit more. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened. Now, I don't know about you. But when I really think about the complexities of life, when I really look at my own personal resources to meet them, when I look at my own ability to be loving in all cases, it's a pretty sorry report card. Failure upon failure, even in the last week, of trying to love unconditionally and winding up doing the opposite, judging, being harsh, sarcastic. Unkind, keeping a record of wrongs, being rude, being self-seeking. All of those nine ingredients in 1 Corinthians 13, which are supposed to describe love, as I look at my resources and my abilities to be unconditionally, relentlessly loving, it's a sorry report card. And the good news is, Jesus says, Bart, come to me when you're overburdened, when you're heavy laden, when you're weighed down with your own failures. Come to me. Often I go just about every other place other than Jesus. Now, I'm a religious professional. I get paid to be religious. So I go to sometimes theology books, ethics books, exegetical pieces, ancient literature, the church. I go to friends who know Jesus. I've got a hundred different places to go rather than simply going to Jesus with my burdens, with my failures, to come to Him as I am so that He can make me what I'm not. Slowly to be sure. I've got all of this life to work on it. And all of eternity as well. Come to me all you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. I'll give you my complete peace. Wounded, outcast, alone, 
and afraid. That's how many of us walk through this door. Let's come to Jesus with those feelings. Come to me, just as you are, so that I might make you like myself, Jesus says. And I'll give you a new name. That scripture about a new name comes from the book of Revelation, the revelation of St. John to the church. And he says this. These are the words spoken by him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan is enthroned. I know that you hold fast to my name and that you never denied your faith in me, even in the days when Antimus, my faithful witness, was killed right before your eyes. I'll give the victorious some hidden bread. I will give him a white stone with a new name written upon it, which no man knows except the man who receives it. I will give him a white stone with a new name written upon it. You know, God is the only one who knows your real name. A name signifies who we really are. And God is the only one who knows who you're really meant to be. One of the great teachers of the church said, Oh Lord, I pray that it might be the real me who prays to the real you who listens. You see, the the self that you've constructed with all these little Jericho walls is not the real you. It's a you that's based partly on fear, partly on wounding, partly on hurt, partly on false dreams and shaky expectations. And only God knows the real you. And He wants you to become the real you. Another saint of the church said that the glory of God is a human person fully alive, the way God really intended them to be. And God is about a process from Genesis to Revelation. And He's about a process from birth to death and on in your life of changing you into yourself. Changing you into your new name. Coming to Him is the first step. Staying with Him is the next step. Living with Him will go on and on. And He'll give you a new name. George MacDonald in his uh, unspoken sermon says this about the new name. It is the man's own symbol. His soul's picture in a word, the sign which belongs to him and to no one else. Who can give a man this, his own name? God alone. For no one but God sees what the man is. It is only when the man has become his name that God gives him the stone with the name upon it. For then first can he understand what his own name signifies. Such a name cannot be given until the man is the name. To tell the name is to seal the success. Who can give you your real name? Only God alone. And you must become who that real you is meant to be. Which means you have to turn away from a false you, a you that's, that's been grounded in fear, grounded in mistaken notions about God, yourself, and other people, That's one reason we're not to judge, something that we fail at so often. Because we don't even understand ourselves, let alone another person. And we certainly don't understand God and how how His other people fit into His work. 
That's why Jesus saved some of his harshest terms for those like myself who too easily judge. He's got a new name for you. But you only find it by coming to him. Come to me. Follow me. Learn from me, he says. When you come to Jesus, you come as you are. With your strengths, with your weaknesses, with your intellectual abilities, with your emotional strengths and setbacks. You come to him with everything, with your sins, and you walk to him, to the person. He's not a concept. This is not a theological abstract. This is a person who bled and died. A theologian from this century said, Theological necessities do not sweat drops of blood in the night. Jesus was not a theological necessity. He was the Son of God. He sweat blood for you. He shed blood for you to bring you back to himself so that he could give yourself back to you. Will you come to Jesus? Will you learn from him? Will you let him give you a new name that you may become that new name? Come to me, all you who are overburdened, and I'll give you rest. And then I'll give you a yoke. And the yoke will fit just right. When he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, what he meant by that is, the the thing that I have you to do, the work that I have you to do, I'm going to give you a yoke that fits you. You see it right here on campus. Think of your favorite professor. And you see them teaching. And it's like a duck in water. It's like a bird in the air. It's like a whale in the ocean. And you say, this person was meant to do this. The yoke is easy because it fits right. But so many of us put yokes upon ourselves in life that don't fit us. And so the work is hard. It doesn't fit us. It's, it was never meant to fit us. We've got the yoke that our parents have put on us or the yoke that we ourselves have chosen, but it's the wrong one. And Jesus says, I've got one that's going to fit you perfectly if you'll just come to me and stay with me and learn from me. Let's sing again, I Will Change Your Name. He, he came through with another sentence that I'm going to be pondering for a long time. He said something like this. Come to Jesus so that you can learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. Come to Jesus so that you can learn from Jesus how to live your life like Jesus. One of the things that I've been hit with in my study of the Gospels is how unreligious Jesus was. He didn't restrict God to certain ceremonies and times. He seemed to think that God was alive and well in the farming community, in the fishing community, in the health community, in the homes, in the streets, in the fields, with the army, in the cities, Everywhere. He seemed to see a world that was full of God working. And one of our biggest problems in in modern Christian circles is that we come to Jesus and remain the same. We have sort of a, a warm sensation. Maybe we sing, I will change your name, and we get a liver shiver. You know, and I love them. 
Or, or we go to a Monday, Thursday service, or to a Good Friday service of darkness, and, and we feel something tremendous. I'm not against that. I'm not against the emotions being, being educated into the life of Jesus Christ. I think that's good. But if we come to Jesus and remain the same, then we've not truly come to Jesus. Because Jesus is a teacher. Jesus wants you, as Dallas Willard said on Friday, as his apprentice, his intern, his student, his disciple. And a master teacher wants a student to change above all else. When you walked into Dr. Obit's class on apologetics, I can guarantee you he did not have as one of his course goals to have students at the end of the semester think exactly what they thought when they came in here. No. You go to a master teacher in order to change, to learn. And that's what Jesus said. Come to me and learn of me. Not even learn from me, but learn of me about everything I'm about. And I fear that the biggest call for Christians right now is that they really come to Christ and learn from Christ. Billy Graham, at the end of his career right now, looks back. I heard him say at the prayer breakfast and in several uh, um, interviews that as he looks back over his life, you know, he's spoken to more people about Jesus live. I mean, he was live when he spoke to them in live audiences, not through television or anything else, than any person on the, in the history of the world. In fact, he's spoken to more people live than any person in the history of the world. And he says, as I look back over my life, it seems that my task was to lead Christians to Jesus. That's an interesting statement for not just the world's most well-known evangelist, but maybe the greatest in the history of the church. To say, really, basically all I did, it looks like, is lead Christians back to Jesus. Well, that's a really good thing to do. And if you're led back to Jesus, you'll not become particularly religious, in my opinion. You will, you will have some ritual in your life. You will certainly be working on your doctrine because that's not particularly religious. That's just right thinking about God and about people and about living. And you'll anchor your life in some religious experiences and some religious communities, I hope. But you'll do that in order to live out your life the way Jesus would live your life if Jesus had your life to live. You'll come to Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. And if you don't decide to do it today, when will you? I mean, today's the day of salvation. Why wait any longer to decide to be his apprentice for life? To learn how to live life the way... He's the master of life. Everywhere Jesus went, people flocked. Why? Because he knew how to live well. Thomas Akempis in his great work, The Imitation of Christ, says, Oh, that we might learn to live one day really well. If we could just live one day the way Jesus lived all his days, joy and radiance would be the primary characteristic of your life. To come to Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. What would it be in the 20th century to live like Jesus? Well, one thing it would mean is that you would put above everything else 
loving God. It would be the driving purpose and goal of your life. To love God with all your intellect, with all your emotions, and with all of your actions, your decisions. To in every aspect of your life, try to love God. And that would mean learning to love people, which we do quite poorly. It's a lot easier to control people than to love them. To manipulate them so that they, so that we can use them for our lives. But Jesus says, no, we're meant to learn, be learners about love. In fact, those who follow Jesus are meant to be the greatest lovers in the history of the world. That's why St. Francis was so powerful. He loved everything and everyone except sin. He loved animals. He loved birds. He'd preach to the birds. He was so full of the love of God that when he'd walk through a field, he'd see some birds and he'd call them brother birds. And he'd preach to them out of his sheer joy. He had this magnetism and people were drawn around him. He was so full of joy, they called him the troubadour of Jesus, the joker of Christ, because he was so full of love and joy. Even though he had very difficult spiritual disciplines, which he himself followed, the end product was a joyful life, not a religious life, not a ritualistic life, but a life overflowing with love. It would mean that we'd love God, that we'd love people. It would mean that we would put Christ above all else. Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can spoil them, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there's neither moth nor rust to spoil and thieves can't break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So to follow Jesus, to learn to live like Jesus would mean that we would have a very different investment strategy. We would decide to invest in what God is doing, first and foremost. He said you can't be fully devoted to two masters. You're bound to hate one and love the other or support one and despise the other. In fact, he said, I tell you this right now, you can't serve God and the power of money at the same time. Many of you are planning to attempt it. I would say it's the unspoken goal of the evangelical community to do exactly what Jesus said is impossible, to serve God and the power of money at the same time. You cannot do it. You have it on good authority. So why try? You will fail. Serve God alone. And let Him tell you what to do with money. He said, seek first the kingdom. And the righteousness of God. And all these other things, food, clothing... In fact, he doesn't even mention houses or retirement funds. He says all these other things that, that, that those who don't believe in God are running around trying to accumulate, they'll be added to you too. If you'll seek first my rule in your life, that's the kingdom. If that's where you put your primary motivations. So if we would love God with everything we've got. We'd become better lovers of people and we would put Christ before self Christ before others, and Christ before possessions. That's what a person of a good and noble heart would be. That's what your life would begin to look like. 
So I want to ask you a question this morning, and then we're just going to reflect in music and give you a chance to think and to decide. I'd like to use our communion service this Wednesday as a line of demarcation in some of your lives, especially for those of you who are seniors. I'd like you to see that that pile of rocks, the Potter's Clay Memorial, which is so meaningful to this community and to me personally. I'd like to see that, have you look at that as a place where we're going to drive in a stake, symbolically. We're going to drive a stake into the ground, and we're going to say, this is where we stand. Those of us coming to this communion service on Wednesday are coming for one purpose only, and that is to drive a stake into the ground and say, I am an apprentice of Jesus for all of my life. I will come to him I will stay with him. I will learn from him in order to live a life like he would live. And I don't care what kind of shape you're in when you come there. I don't care if you've been sexually loose in the last week. Then you come there. I don't care if you've been totally motivated by pleasing others instead of God. You come to that monument. You come to that memorial and drive a stake in the ground and say, from here on out, I'm going to play to an audience of one. I don't care if you're addicted right now as we speak to alcohol or to drugs, and some of you are. I don't care. I want you to come if you've decided to be an apprentice of Jesus. I'm assuming everybody that comes from around campus, and it's beautiful because you'll be coming from all different directions, and I'm assuming that you're all going to limp or crawl there. You won't literally do that. But in God's eyes, that's the way he'll see it. You have bruises, you have woundedness, you're lonely, you're outcast. I'd say just come. Come to Jesus. But come to Jesus in order to stay with Jesus for life and to learn from Jesus how to live your life. What is the cost? It's very simple. The cost is the same for everybody. It's everything. It's all you are and have. It's your future. your money, it's your future family, it's your current family, it's your friends, it's everything. The cost is 100% of who you are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You come to Jesus, you stay with Jesus, you learn from Jesus in order to live your life like Jesus. Now on Wednesday, when we have communion, there's no chapel credit. I mean, or we give it to everybody. So that shouldn't be your motive, obviously. Secondly, I'd like you to ask no one if they're going. I don't want you to say to your roommate, are you going? I want no peer pressure to be there. I, I've made my decision to go and drive the stake in a little deeper in my life. I've already made that decision because I've had a chance to think about this. And if, if I'm the only one there, that's okay. If there's four of us there, that's okay. If there's a thousand of us there, that's okay. You just figure out if you're to be there. Now, let me just give one caveat. I realize this is 
that if a person chooses not to come, it doesn't mean they've decided not to be an apprentice to Jesus. There are probably some very good reasons for not going to that service too. For maybe you've already done this in a very deep way, and, and this would be you'd be doing it for the wrong reasons. So I understand that. But there's only one reason to come to that communion service, and it's to surrender everything to Jesus. It's to decide to be an apprentice to Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to live your life like Jesus would live your life. So let's close with music. We have about seven or eight minutes, and John is going to lead us. And I'd like you to just be, some, some of the times you may not want to sing, you may want to just be quiet and listen to the others. You want to pray, but I'd like you to reflect on this decision in your life. And then I'd like us to leave in silence the way we came in, and I appreciated the effort you made to do that.